Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 444 for May 24th, 2015. This week, we know more about Windows 10 now, including how many versions there will be, but still not when. In short circuits, I received a firm reminder of how sneaky phishing messages can be. The United States continues to be the largest supplier of email spam. And after several years of rapid growth, tablet sales are off a bit this year. In spare parts, only on the website, look who's the biggest threat to corporate data. China plans to spend more than $200 billion in the next couple of years to improve internet speeds. Calls to implement a Canadian anti-piracy program in the U.S. And Radio Shack receives permission to sell its name. release date for Windows 10 is getting closer, and Microsoft is providing a few additional bits of information about what we should expect. For example, you undoubtedly suspected that several versions of the operating system would exist. Well, now we know how many. What we still don't know is when. The answer, by the way, is five, and for most people, one and possibly three of the versions are simply non-starters. Unless you're a corporate IT manager, you won't be interested in Windows 10 Enterprise. It's intended for use by medium and large organizations, companies with hundreds or thousands of installed systems. It includes advanced security capabilities needed by those organizations and understood by IT managers. The same is true for Windows 10 Mobile Enterprise. This is the version for large and medium businesses, but with an emphasis on mobile computing. From the high end, let's go to the other extreme, Windows 10 Home. That's what you'll probably find installed on entry-level systems. It is the consumer-focused desktop version that will omit some of the Pro features. The trouble with home versions of Windows, at least in the past, has always been that many people like to have some of those Pro features. Windows 10 Pro is the version I would be probably most likely to recommend for people who prefer desktop systems, notebook computers, and hybrid devices such as Microsoft's Surface Pro 3. I'm still trying to figure out a way to justify purchasing a Surface Pro 3, but I haven't been able to accomplish that yet. The Pro version will work fine in business environments too, by the way. And then there's Windows 10 Mobile. It'll be optimized for small tablet screens and Microsoft's smartphones. So the choices that apply to most people are home, pro, and mobile. And you might have more than one if you have a desktop computer and a Windows phone, for example. Windows 10 will be released this summer, possibly starting in late June or early July. Versions will be released in more than 100 languages and localized for use in nearly 200 countries. I am astounded by development efforts that large. At this month's Ignite conference in Chicago, Microsoft managers and developers continued to emphasize that their objectives for Windows 10 include finding ways to make personal computing more personal, enhancing users' productivity, 
and leveraging cloud-based resources to provide full access to files regardless of where users are or what devices they have. Microsoft announced earlier this year that the full version of Windows 10 Home, Mobile, and Pro will be available as free upgrades to customers running Windows 7, 8, and 8.1 and Windows Phone 8.1. You'll have to upgrade within one year from when Windows 10 becomes generally available to qualify for that free upgrade. And once you do upgrade to Windows 10, Microsoft will continue to provide updates without additional charge on that device. On that device. In other words, don't plan to buy a new computer and move Windows. Microsoft had also announced that it would upgrade pirated versions of Windows for free, but that was probably a public relations snafu. The company almost immediately began backpedaling and clarifying. Apparently, somebody realized that giving free upgrades to operating system pirates might be considered a bit of an affront by those of us who paid for it. It's still likely, though, that Microsoft will offer some path for pirates to obtain discounted versions of Windows 10. Having more users on the same legitimate version of Windows will be an advantage for Microsoft. It'll also be an advantage for software developers and for people who need help with their computers. Technicians now have to try to remember the differences between Windows NT and Windows Vista, between Windows 2000 and Windows 7, between Windows 8 and 8.1. And I can tell you this, it is not an easy task. So pirates won't get a free upgrade, but there are others in that same analogous boat. System engineers, for example. Shortly after Operating Systems Vice President Terry Meyerson announced the free upgrade policy for Windows 7, 8, and 8.1, Director of Program Management Jim Alcove wrote on his blog that Windows 7 Enterprise and Windows 8 or 8.1 Enterprise are not included in the terms of the free Windows 10 upgrade. Whether this is a good move or not is debatable, but it's understandable, at least on some level. Enterprise software is where the money is, and Microsoft probably doesn't want to set a precedent of providing anything free to this lucrative section of their market. But the decision is baffling given Windows 8 and 8.1 adoption by corporate IT managers. The vast majority of large businesses have computers that run Windows 7, and some are still limping along on Windows XP systems. If Microsoft really wants to bring Windows Enterprise users on board with Windows 10, it would make sense, I think, to provide the upgrades at no cost. After all, the free upgrades are good only when an existing machine is updated. And any company that's still running Windows XP has machines that are long overdue for replacement. That's also true for most Windows 7 systems. Enterprise operations typically replace computers every two to four years, most adopting about a three-year cycle. So how much income would Microsoft really forego by rewarding their very best customers with free upgrades? Apparently, the belief at Microsoft is that Windows 10 will offer enough new security and management features that IT managers will be willing to put upgrade costs in their budgets. The enterprise version of Windows 10 does offer a lot to IT managers, including more precise control of which machines receive various updates as new features and patches are released. Even with the extra cost of paying for the upgrades, IT departments might save money if their support costs are reduced. And there's the question of which stage you'll be riding. Windows 10 will be released in stages. 
Some pundits have chosen to use staggered instead of staged. That lets them write about Microsoft staggering to the finish line. Clever. Funny. That's fine for those who want to sow confusion by taking cheap shots. And it makes Microsoft sound like the company has no clue about what's going on. Based on what I've seen of Windows 10 so far, nothing could be further from the truth. A staged release makes a lot of sense. Instead of launching all versions of Windows 10 on all systems that will support it, possibly creating chaos and certainly overload for support teams, the objective seems to be creating an orderly and manageable process that will reduce frustration. The first stage, understandably, will be for users of desktop systems. Some notebook computers, hybrid devices, and possibly even some tablets might qualify for the first wave of updates. That's the release that will occur, as we used to say in the software biz, any day now. Probably late June, maybe July sometime. But then what? Launches will be scheduled later in the year for phones, Xbox, and HoloLens. Remember the HoloLens? If not, check out my earlier report. There's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. It goes back to January. When will that happen? Maybe late summer, maybe early fall. Certainly prior to the holiday season, because that's when a lot of people buy new hardware. This whole process is such a big deal for Microsoft that there will probably be a launch reminiscent of the Windows 95 launch. Windows 10 is more evolutionary than was the revolutionary Windows 95, but the development of a single operating system that appears to be poised to function across devices from the largest server to the smallest phone? Well, there certainly are some revolutionary aspects to this release. I mentioned the HoloLens. Microsoft showed off a functional HoloLens device earlier this year, but it was still a bit quirky even under highly controlled conditions. To be useful, the HoloLens will need applications that it will work with. And to develop applications that will work with the device, software manufacturers need a HoloLens that's closer to production-ready. As fascinating as the HoloLens is, it's probably not going to be ready for release this year. And whenever it is ready for market, it's going to cost far too much for anybody except the one percenters. The price will come down as economies of scale are factored in, but my recommendation is that you shouldn't plan on having one this year, even if you are a one percenter. NASA is using a prototype model of the HoloLens, and users such as NASA will be the ones that will make the most use of it initially. Be patient, though. Consumer models will eventually be available. And the bills just keep on coming. The current fastering build is 10,122, and even though the browser is now actually Edge, it's still being shown as Project Spartan. Not a big deal. One problem that has surfaced in recent builds is one that causes crashes on computers with AMD processors. Microsoft is working with AMD to resolve the problem. This current version of the technical preview consists primarily of cosmetic changes. The power functions move to a more accessible location in a previous build, and build 10122 moves the file explorer and settings options to a nearby location, and the button that expands the start menu to the full touch-enabled version has been eliminated unless you specifically request it. You can do that in Settings, Personalization, Start. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to the full rollout of Windows 10.
In short circuits, Bluehost is one of the larger hosting services. It happens to be the one that hosts TechFighter worldwide. The company occasionally sends informational messages and one arrived this week regarding a site that I help maintain. Your account contains more than 2,692 directories and may pose a potential performance risk to the server. Please reduce the number of directories for your account to prevent possible account deactivation. That message seemed strange, but overall it looked legitimate. It wasn't. A link was provided to the domain control panel. All Bluehost control panels for all domains are at my.bluehost.com. Well, I didn't click that link. Of course I didn't. But I did open the control panel and I took a look at the directory structure. Nothing appeared to be wrong, but I wanted to be sure. After logging on via what's called Secure Shell, I ran a command that counted the directories. 1,281. That's not a huge number of directories for an account that hosts three websites two of which are based on WordPress. It's also nowhere near more than 2,692. I was beginning to notice the odor of a rat, so I contacted Bluehost support, and while I was waiting for a technician to come online, I looked at the message a little more closely. The subject, for example, said, Account Notice, colon, error number 1087. And something was funny about the way number was represented. Capital N, lowercase o, subscripted, with a line under it. Now that's not common in U.S. English. However, it is very common in English translated from Russian. Also, I noticed spaces before and after the colon. That's non-standard in English, too. Some clunkiness is apparent in the message. Your account contains more than 2,692 directories. Why such an exact number? And additionally, the number of directories really has no effect on system performance. Well, by then, the technician was online, and he explained that the message was part of a targeted phishing campaign. The objective was to obtain cPanel usernames and passwords. So then I examined the message a bit more closely, and I noticed that the target lurking below what appeared to be a link to Bluehost actually went to a site in Russia. The domain credentials never were in jeopardy because I didn't click the link, but I also didn't take the simple action that would have immediately revealed the scam for what it was. Reviewing either the message headers, which would have revealed immediately that the message did not originate at Bluehost, or examining the message's raw code, which would have immediately shown the purported Bluehost link wasn't pointed at Bluehost. Either of those steps would have short-circuited the discovery process. At least it was a good reminder to be careful. Many of us like to think that spammers in Eastern Europe and China are responsible for most of the dreck that arrives on our computers, but it's not so. According to Kaspersky Labs, the United States has once again retained its position as the biggest source of spam, sending more than 14% of all the junk. And the new top-level domains launched in January are making it easy for spammers to create legitimate-looking addresses that are fraudulent. Kaspersky's first quarter report says the new domains represent an excellent tool for promoting unwanted or illegitimate advertising campaigns. 
Things have improved a bit, though. The proportion of spam in email traffic, according to figures for the first quarter of 2015, was just under 60%. And yes, that is an improvement. It's actually six percentage points lower than the previous quarter. But phishing is becoming even more of a threat. Kaspersky says its applications recorded more than 50 million instances that triggered its anti-phishing system. That's one million more times than in the previous quarter, so an increase of about 2%. Nearly 40% of all recorded incidents were attempts to gain information from customers of financial institutions. You, of course, recall Willie Sutton's explanation of why he robbed banks. That's where the money is. One of the more interesting conclusions of the report dealt with the new generic top-level domain registration program that has created domains such as .work and .science. Business opportunities are provided by the generic top-level domain names, but there's also a great opportunity for crooks. The report says that spammers and cyber criminals have been quick to react to the trend. As a result of their activities, new domain zones almost immediately became an arena for large-scale distribution of advertising spam, phishing, and malicious emails. According to Kaspersky Lab's email traffic data, the number of new domains that sent spam was up sharply in the first quarter. Messages sent from the .work domains generally contained offers for household maintenance, construction, or equipment installation. Many of the messages from the .science domains were advertising schools that offered distance learning, colleges to train nurses, criminal lawyers, and other professionals. Insurance was one of the hottest topics in terms of the number of messages and the number of domains used for the spam. Tablet sales generally have slowed a bit, but there is growth for some of the smaller vendors in the small tablet space. According to Strategy Analytics, Apple and Samsung sales dropped more than 10%, but overall sales increased by about 8%. Companies such as Huawei, TCL, Alcatel, and LG have seen sales increase. Both Apple and Samsung have suffered substantial drops. Two new tablet and touchscreen strategy reports by Strategy Analytics note that smaller vendors are picking up steam in this environment, while the larger players are using 2015 as a rebuilding year for future growth. The reports suggest that Samsung will reduce its large product portfolio to focus on a tighter circle of strong performers in the mid to low price tiers, for example, the Tab S, the Tab 4, and the new Tab A. The report notes that Huawei had a good first quarter, having shipped 1.3 million units, a 147% year-on-year increase. Despite the huge increase, Huawei's total tablet market share is still only about 2.4% overall, 3.5% in the Android tablet market. North America is predicted to account for about 28% of global tablet shipments in 2015, and tablet penetration will reach 49% this year. Every other person should have a tablet by then. Strategy Analytics Service Director Peter King says that Apple has begun a marketing campaign to revive sales after a five-quarter slump. Slightly thinner and faster tablets aren't likely to restore growth for the iPad, but Apple's work to address enterprise tablet usage with IBM on a mobile-first partnership 
and some new features rumored for upcoming models will position the company well for long-term growth. And don't forget to check out the website for spare parts. This week, look who's the biggest threat to corporate data. China plans to spend more than $200 billion in the next couple of years to improve Internet speeds, calls to implement a Canadian anti-piracy program in the U.S., and Radio Shack receives permission to sell its name. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.